Welcome to the special Archetypal Universe edition of This Week in Astrology. This is episode number 479 for the first half of October 2018. This Week in Astrology is the free podcast that deepens your astrological wisdom. We always start with a forecast and regularly include other special features. Make This Week in Astrology a regular part of your astrological education. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Benjamin Bernstein, broadcasting from the virtual location of thisweekinastrology.com and the physical location of Asheville, North Carolina. To get to a specific part of the show, including the forecast for a particular date, check out the index at the very end of this MP3. You can also see this index in writing at thisweekinastrology.blogspot.com. As always, we're going to start with the forecast for the half month and then have an announcement or two along with the listener email and then part one of our very special feature, an interview with Ren Butler, author of the new book, The Archetypal Universe, Astrological Patterns in Human Culture, Thought, Emotion, and Dreams, a very juicy discussion. It's about 90 minutes. We're going to do part one this time, about 45 minutes of conversation with Ren Butler, and then we'll do part two next time. So a lot of juicy stuff to get into, and I think you'll find Ren's stuff absolutely fascinating, and uh, I certainly did. So let's first get into the forecast. Venus turning retrograde will give us a lot to contemplate, but not act on just yet, during the first half of October. We also have a Libra new moon with challenging aspects, a challenging Venus-Mars square, and five mostly challenging aspect patterns. Oh dear, that's a lot of challenging, isn't it? But never fear. As always, I'll show you the high side opportunities in every situation. What's old as we come into October? we got a waning moon. We still have a T-square with Venus, Mars, and Uranus playing out through October 12th. And that's all that's left over. So let's get on to our individual days of the forecast. On Monday, October 1st, a committed partnership could catalyze wealth enhancement, shadow work, or both as Ceres, Juno, and Pluto form a Thor's Hammer. This challenging aspect pattern started on September 28th. Sorry for the late notice there. It peaks on October 10th and ends on the 20th. The only planet with a definitive meaning here is Juno, which stands for committed partnership. Juno stations retrograde in Gemini near the peak of this aspect pattern, highlighting the importance of mental reflection and thoughtful, considerate communication. Ceres and Pluto are more flexible, with both planets able to represent wealth and shadow work. The grain goddess Ceres, also known as Demeter, represents the abundance of the harvest, as well as her deep sorrow when Pluto abducted her daughter Persephone to his underworld realm. The underworld is where our unhealed sorrows are buried, and the place from which diamonds, gold, and other precious metals and minerals are mined. On Tuesday, October 2nd, your feminine assertiveness is supported by a continuous current of divine energy, as Neptune opposes Pallas. Neptune, 14 Pisces, Pallas, 14 Virgo. With Pallas in Virgo, your strategic thinking can enjoy heightened precision. Let your intuition lead, then tidy up the details with your intellect. This opposition remains in orb through October 22nd. Also, on Tuesday, October 2nd, Go easy on the dominating and controlling behaviors with Mercury square Pluto, Mercury 19 Libra, Pluto 19 Capricorn. Instead, 
use this aspect to tell the whole truth presented in the most harmonious way possible. This square can also fire up your creative juices. On Wednesday, October 3rd, the Thor's Hammer, featuring Ceres, Juno, and Pluto that started on September 28th, gains an additional member today as the Sun conjoins Ceres in Libra. For starters, the light of the Sun energizes wealth and shadow work, the existing meanings of the aspect pattern. The Sun also adds a new interpretation, creativity empowered by a partner's contributions. This creativity could be cathartic and or lucrative. This Thor's Hammer with Sun, Ceres, Juno, and Pluto starts today on October 3rd and peaks on October 8th. After the Sun exits this aspect pattern on the 13th, the original Thor's Hammer with Ceres, Juno, and Pluto continues through the 20th. On Thursday, October 4th, you can enjoy inspired, well-structured communication and creativity as Mercury quintiles Saturn. Mercury, 21 Libra, Saturn, 3 Capricorn. On Friday, October 5th, Venus turns retrograde today at 3.04 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. That'll be at 10 degrees, 50 minutes Scorpio. She'll backpedal about 15 degrees, then turn direct again on November 16th at 25 degrees Libra. A core opportunity of any planetary retrograde is to favor reflection over action. So any Venus retrograde is a better time to evaluate existing relationships than to start new ones. Rather than starting new creative projects, put the finishing touches on existing ones. Instead of kicking off new financial investments, tweak the ones you have. Since Venus rules money, it would be best to postpone major purchases until she turns direct again. Let's take it a level deeper by adding signs. Venus will backpedal through Scorpio until October 31st. Reflect on your intense passions, relationship renewal, the power of love, and the interplay of beauty and the beast. Notice if you're involved in obsessive attractions, jealousy, possessiveness, passive-aggressive behavior, or an outsized love of power. Venus completes her retrograde in Libra, a sign that she rules, November 1st through November 16th. This is a great time to reflect on how love, friendship, harmony, pleasure, and beauty are gracing your life. On the low side, are you engaging in pretentious or shallow behavior? Are you indulging in vanity, conceit, self-indulgence, or laziness? By the way, thanks to Ren Butler's wonderful new book, The Archetypal Universe, for most of the keywords in these last two paragraphs. As you already know, I'll be interviewing him uh, at the end of this podcast, uh, part one of a two-part interview. Back to this forecast for Venus Retrograde, though. Uh, Venus is influenced by two significant aspects as she turns retrograde. A square with Aquarian Mars can highlight any relationship challenges that need to be addressed. Would it be best to structure a relationship in a way that meets both of your unique needs and desires rather than following convention? The square can also give you exciting new insights into your creative process. A trine from Neptune offers an easy flow of divine energy and creative inspiration. Developing a deeper relationship with your higher self is smoothly supported. Venus retrogrades only come every 1.6 years and only last about six weeks. Capitalize on these opportunities during this rare and special time. Make that amazing life you've been dreaming about a daily reality with support from Astro Shamanic Life Coaching. 
my unique combination of helping modalities, refined through more than 7,000 life-transforming Astro Shaman client sessions, can help you thrive in every area of your life. And my unusual approach could help you do this faster than you might have thought possible. Satisfaction guaranteed. Learn more by going to astroshaman.com. On the menu bar, click services. And a couple, three down, you'll see life coaching. Check it out. On Sunday, October 7th, open, honest communication in your committed partnerships, especially on the sensitive subjects, is encouraged by a double yod key featuring Mercury, Juno, Saturn, and Chiron. Communication is triple emphasized by, first, Mercury, the planet of communication, second, Juno, goddess of committed partnerships in Gemini, the sign of communication, and third, Chiron, the planet of mentoring. Challenges energized by the Saturn-Chiron square, as well as by Mercury's placement in Scorpio, the sign of death and rebirth. Yes, it's intense. Yes, it's challenging. And yes, it can help you take a committed relationship to a whole new level of wonderful if you're willing to do the psychological heavy lifting energized by this double yacht key. Check out my healing invocation for your individual shadow work and the four-step nonviolent communication method to help you work through your relationships, unresolved issues with your partner. Those links in just a moment. You can also use this double yacht key to collaborate with someone on a project that involves deep learning or transformative communication. Saturn can lend you discipline and structure, while Chiron can support any appropriate mentoring or healing. To get to my healing invocation, just go to astroshaman.com. On the menu bar, last word is resources. Right, the first pull down under that is invocations for healing and awakening. When you get to that page, the second post is the healing invocation. And to get the four step nonviolent communication method, just put that term in a Google search and it will come right up for you. Also, on Sunday, October 7th, your ability to learn and communicate assertively and strategically is dynamically energized by a hard rectangle featuring Mercury, Pallas, Uranus, and Neptune. A hard rectangle is bordered by minor hard aspects, two 45-degree semi-squares and two 135-degree sesquares, and internally braced by two oppositions. You can get plenty of divine guidance on what to learn and communicate, since both planets of intuition are part of this aspect pattern. Uranus, powerfully placed right across from Mercury, will be sending down plenty of intuitive flashes, and a Mercury-Neptune sesquare can link you up with a constant flow of divine energy and information. This hard rectangle has exactly the same timing as the double yod key that also starts today, on the 7th of October, peaking on the 10th, and ending on the 12th. Finally, on Sunday, October 7th, Neptune's low side could seem tempting under a Sun-Neptune quincunx, Sun 14 Libra, Neptune 14 Pisces. Those low sides include substance abuse, excessive escapism, aimlessness, or a victim-perpetrator relationship dynamic. Make whatever attitude adjustment is needed to get Neptune working on the high side, spiritual awakening practices, and expressing your inspired creativity. The Sun's placement in Libra reinforces Neptune's artistic inclinations and also invites you to make a deeper soul connection with your beloved. 
On Monday, October 8th, a new moon arrives at 11.47 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time at 15 degrees 48 minutes Libra. Any Libra new moon offers fresh energy for relationships and creativity, as well as harmony and balance. However, the aspects to this Libra new moon are not inherently harmonious. A strong square from Pluto can catalyze intense transformation, release the relationships, possessions, habits, and limited thinking that are constraining you from stepping into your most wonderful life experience. The more you release that which does not serve you, the more Pluto can bless you with wealth and power. A sesquare from Gemini and Juno encourages you to take a clear-eyed look at the opportunities and challenges of your committed partnerships. A quincunx from Neptune could initially cause confusion, but can flow down crystal-clear intuitive clarity if you call in the wisdom of your higher self. Finally, a subtle semi-sextile from Pallas can boost your feminine assertiveness and strategic skills, helping you work productively with whatever's coming up. This new moon's Sabian symbol is... After the storms of winter, a boat landing stands in need of reconstruction. It would be all too easy to correlate this to Hurricane Florence, which just gave a historic battering to my home state of North Carolina. Uh, Here in Asheville, though, we only got a light rain. Nothing too bad here. But I'll interpret this symbol more broadly. The storms of winter can represent any significant challenge. A boat landing represents a safe haven before or after a potentially perilous journey. The boat landing's need for reconstruction invites you to look at where your own foundation is shaky. What is unsound or unsafe in your home environment? What needs repair so that you can more confidently journey out in your boat, knowing that you're fully provisioned for the journey, and can look forward to a warm welcome and safe harbor upon your return? Also, on Monday, October 8th, The Thor's Hammer, featuring the Sun, Ceres, Juno, and Pluto that started on the 3rd, peaks today on the 8th, and ends on the 13th. Here are some uh, testimonials that came in. There are tools out there to help us awaken to our true embodied selves. Astro Shaman, Benjamin Bernstein, carries these tools and reflects them in an inviting and practical way in his astrology session. I'm grateful for the insight, wisdom, and gifts he offered me in our reading of my chart. I feel supported in my journey to awakening. Sometimes I need reminders and breadcrumbs to stay on the path and not lose hope or give in to the shadows. Benjamin has a way of illuminating that path. That's from J.S., September 29th, five-star review. Next. I've worked with Benjamin several times now in different ways, very insightful, thorough, and enlightening in every aspect of working with him. Excellent integrity, caring, and empowering. That's MS, September 17th, five-star review. And finally, Benjamin, you have a beautiful ability to hold the mirror. Thank you. My work has been made clear. You helped with releasing the fear of the shadow and embracing the light within. You are truly gifted and have a keen ability to manifest the divine. I look forward to working with you again. Thank you kindly. That's from Liz Lofsa, September 22nd, five-star review. That's so far 217 five-star reviews from clients. All my services are equally effective long distance or in person, and my guarantee makes it risk-free. If you don't feel that your experience was helpful, the session's free. Learn more at astroshaman.com, services, and then under services, 
Uh, there's quite a few different things I do. Astrology, shamanic healing, life coaching, and so on. So check that out at your leisure. On Wednesday, October 10th, it's an especially intense day as three aspect patterns peak. First, the Thor's Hammer featuring Ceres, Juno, and Pluto. It started on the 20th of September, peaks today on October 10th, ends on the 20th. And two aspect patterns share the exact same timing. The double yod key with Mercury, Juno, Saturn, and Chiron, and that hard rectangle with Mercury, Pallas, Uranus, and Neptune, both of which I've already interpreted, both started on the 7th, peak today on the 10th, and end on the 12th. Also, on Wednesday, October 10th, whatever's going on in your key relationships will be intensified by a Venus-Mars square. Venus 10 Scorpio, Mars 10 Aquarius. Whether you experience intense challenge or passionate connection will depend on how well you've been nurturing your relationship. The square can also powerfully boost your creative juju, inviting you to be both intense and innovative. Finally, on Wednesday, October 10th, you can catch intuitive flashes more easily with Mercury opposing Uranus. Mercury, one Scorpio, Uranus, one Taurus. Your outside-the-box thinking can be especially potent if turned toward the themes of joint resources and the death-rebirth cycle. On Thursday, October 11th, your feminine assertiveness and strategic thinking receive smooth, powerful support thanks to a Pluto-Pallas trine. Pluto, 19 Capricorn, Pallas, 19 Virgo. On Friday, October 12th, what needs release or transformation in your life? It may be drawing your attention now as the Sun squares Pluto. Sun, 19 Libra, Pluto, 19 Capricorn. This aspect can also bless you with wealth and power, especially in your relationships and creativity. On Sunday, October 14th, you can receive practical inspiration regarding your relationships and creativity as the Sun quintile Saturn. Sun, 22 Libra, Saturn, 4 degrees Capricorn. This came in unsolicited. Hi, Benjamin. I listened to your invocations for healing and awakening yesterday. I am shocked. My mind rarely stops unless I'm in meditation, doing energy sessions or readings. I am amazed. After your invocation, it is as though my mind is on a vacation. Every time mind chatter starts, I become aware, and it immediately stops. I can't make it start even if I try. Thank you. That's from Lorelei H. in Regina, Canada. She wrote that on September 9th. And you can learn more about my invocations for healing and awakening by going to astroshaman.com. On the menu bar, choose resources. And the first item down is invocations for healing and awakening. Once the page comes up, choose the first item with the blue angel to learn more. On Monday, October 15th, you can gain the wisdom to take committed partnership to the next level thanks to a mystic rectangle with Juno, Pallas, Jupiter, and Chiron. Committed partnership is represented by Juno. A sextile from Chiron helps wise counsel flow to her smoothly and powerfully. Jupiter, giver of life-enhancing wisdom, opposes Juno. The opposition simply means they're in relationship. And Pallas trines Juno, encouraging you to assertively and strategically seek the wisdom you need. This mystic rectangle also supports you in a partnership that offers wisdom or healing to others. This aspect pattern starts today on October 15th, peaks on November 2nd, and ends on November 17th. Its extraordinary tightness as it peaks, all the individual aspects are within one quarter of a degree, gives it extra power. 
Finally, on Monday, October 15th, smooth, harmonious learning and communication are supported by a Mercury-Venus conjunction. With both planets in Scorpio, even truths that would usually be difficult to bear can be received more easily. Looking ahead to the forecast for the second half of October for our next podcast, we're going to have a full moon in Taurus, the sun entering Scorpio, a square between Pluto and Ceres, and an amazing aspect pattern, a double yod mirror image with seven planets all forming this incredible, perfect um, interlaced double yod, which is like a perfect mirror image. They're both bounce-back yods. It's just amazing. We've got Venus, Ceres, Juno, Pallas, Jupiter, Chiron, and Uranus. And you have to hear about this one to believe it. So tune in next time, and I'll, I'll give you everything I can tell you. So be sure to tune in next time for This Week in Astrology. You can hear my forecast on This Week in Astrology, but would you also like to get a free, concise version in writing? How about having it conveniently pop into your inbox? And while we're at it, How about occasional bonus articles on astrology, along with simple, powerful healing and awakening techniques? That's what you get with AstroShaman's free email newsletter. To subscribe, go to astroshaman.com. You'll see the newsletter sign-up form at the top of the sidebar. And if you like calculating your own astrology charts, why not use the world's leading Windows astrology software and get it for the lowest price available? AstroShaman is an authorized dealer for SolarFire Gold, which also runs on Macs running Windows and recent Windows tablets. To learn more or place your order, visit astroshaman.com. From there, click on Products in the menu bar and choose SolarFire Software from the drop-down menu. A free forecast newsletter and the best available price on SolarFire Gold. Two great reasons to visit astroshaman.com right now. In this section, we have a listener email and an announcement or two. Uh, We're going to start, though, by announcing those who have sent in their charts in the last month. Uh, Thank you for sending in your information to Jennifer, Olivia, Emmett, Liz, Jessica, Shannon, Christine, Kat, and Peter. All of you are now eligible to have your chart used on the show. And you're also eligible to win a free session every month. And sometime in this podcast, I'll be announcing that winner. I got a question in, um, and I wanted to uh, just, uh, this is from Jennifer, um, I think maybe the same Jennifer, who uh, got her her chart in. Anyhow, she had a question. I'll just read it and answer it so you all can learn something. She says, the place of birth used to calculate my birth chart is 108 miles from my actual birthplace. Can you tell me how significant is this distance? Do you advise having my chart redone? Okay, so what I did is I looked in a local area, so I live in Asheville, North Carolina, Statesville is about 100 miles east of here. So I ran a chart for uh, the same moment in time, uh, 100 miles different, and the charts were about 1.25 degrees different on the ascendant and about 1.5 degrees different on the midheaven. So that's, you know, a little different, you know, depending if your chart is cuspy in those areas, could make a difference. Um, now, of course, going west and east moves the chart more than if you move it north and south. I then picked a spot uh, south of Asheville, um, Abbeville, South Carolina, which is about 118 miles south and about roughly 10 miles east of Asheville, ballpark. So not much different. And when I ran it 100 miles south of here, uh, the midheaven only moved one-sixth of a degree and the ascendant only moved by two-thirds of a degree. So obviously 
a north-south difference is going to make a whole lot less difference than an east-west. So whether you would need to have your chart redone, Jennifer, I would say if you think that a shifting of 1.25 to 1.5 degrees on the angles would make a difference, then yeah, you should. I would do that if, for example, I was right on the cusp of a sign shift on the angles. That might be a reason to do it. But if you're comfortably within a sign, um, then I don't know that it would be super important. Although, frankly, you can just go to astro.com on the web and, and calculate a chart for free anytime you like. So um, no real problem doing that at all. Um, uh, and only there would only be a significant reinterpretation of the chart if, you know, a planet shifted houses, especially if it shifted uh, from, you know, an angular, like 12th to 1st, from one side of an angle to the other. The one place this could make significant difference, though, is if you have a slow outer planet approaching a significant aspect to an angle, um, then, of course, since the slowest guys, Neptune and Pluto, right now are only moving about 2 degrees a year, uh, if you had a one and a half degree shift of an angle, then it could affect the timing of when a slow planet transit hits by up to a year. So in that case, there could be some 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 potential for you know timing shift on that. But overall, I'd say uh, I wouldn't sweat that too badly. I would just um, if you happen to be able to run your own charts, just redo it. Go to astro.com, do it. If you got a friendly astrologer who just rerun the chart for you, but under normal circumstances, this minor shift would not require a full reinterpretation of the chart, since in most cases, you know, most or all the plans are going to be staying in the same houses, and there's not going to be that much shift with that small of geographical change. So I hope, Jennifer, that is a helpful answer to your question. And I want to mention, if you happen to live in the Asheville, North Carolina area, uh, every third Tuesday we do a shamanic awakening meetup here. And you can learn more about that if you dive into the practical spirituality section of my site. And finally, I'd like to announce our free winner. Her name is Vernette, born March 30th, 1948 in Duluth, Minnesota. You'll certainly know if that's you. And if so, then email me, info at astroshaman.com and we'll get you set up for your free session. Thanks so much. This ends the announcements. Welcome to our astrologer interview. Today I am deeply honored to have Ren Butler with us. We're going to be discussing his new book, The Archetypal Universe, Astrological Patterns in Human Culture, Thought, Emotion, and Dreams. Ren, welcome once again to This Week in Astrology. Hi, Benjamin. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, it's a it's my honor you are uh you're doing work on the cutting edge which is so resonant with my own experiences and beliefs so it's just my real privilege to to you know put you on the show here and give people more exposure to you oh thank you so Ren, let me tell our listeners a little bit about you this is from your author bio from the back of your book ren butler is an archetypal astrologer and holotropic breathwork facilitator in victoria british columbia who has offered workshops and consultations for over three and a half decades. He has a BA in English and Religious Studies and lived at the Esalen Institute in California for several years, where he studied with Richard Tarnas and Stanislav Grof. He's also worked in healthcare for almost 30 years with physically, mentally, and emotionally challenged adults. 
Ren's first book, Pathways to Wholeness, which explores the correlation of planetary alignments with holotropic and psychedelic experiences, was published in 2014 by Muswell Hill Press. So uh, to give our listeners an overview, um, would you read the back cover blurb of your new book? Yes. So, yeah, it's the archetypal universe. <clears throat> this book explores astrological patterns in human culture and self-exploration, including themes in cinema, music and art, dreams, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, and holotropic breathwork. Termed by some middle way in astrology, archetypal astrology is deeply grounded in Greek mythology and philosophy, while also acknowledging the evolutionary potential and healing gifts represented by Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Based on decades of systematic research, this rich and comprehensive handbook is sure to be a treasured resource for beginners and professionals alike. And that, having read the book, that sounds really correct to me. In fact, my favorite uh, blurb is from Stephen Forrest, who many people will know well. He's one of the most well-known astrologers. His blurb was, I predict that within a few years, Ren Butler's masterful encyclopedia of planetary pairs and triads, as they come together in the natal chart by transit or in relationship charts, will be a well-thumbed volume on many an astrologer's bookshelf. So, Yeah, yeah that was very kind of him. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure he doesn't give that kind of praise to just anybody. <laughs> now, our long-term listeners, Ren, may remember that I interviewed you on This Week in Astrology about your first book, Pathways to Wholeness, Archetypal Astrology and the Transpersonal Journey. And listeners can still go and listen to those if they wish. If they like what you're saying here, I'm sure they'll love those interviews too. They can go to thisweekinastrology.blogspot.com. Part one of our interview was on episode 383 for September 29, 2014. And we did part two on episode 385 for November 1, 2014. And those, those episodes are easily accessed from that site. So um, as, I, as I went through your book, uh, a few sentences that I think eloquently, uh, I mean to say eloquently, <laughs> express one of the most profound benefits of your book is the last paragraph on page 226. Would you mind reading that? Sure. And, you know, I, I didn't adequately say I, I really appreciate all the work you're doing, Benjamin. We just watched a podcast of you talking about the eclipses this summer and just such an impressive presentation. Oh, thank you. You're very really well done. Thanks. <clears throat> okay, so, and yet the correlations that can be observed in the study of planetary archetypes have an essential thematic consistency that is astonishing. As people learn to perceive the synchronicities unfolding in the universe within and around them, they develop the sense of a higher cosmic consciousness aware of the most intimate details of their lives and interacting with them in deeply subtle and complex ways. Some people have compared this to a kind of cosmic chess game, mutually engaging reality with a capital R TV show, or in its ultimate form, divine love affair, in the way that the transpersonal theorist Ken Wilbur describes. The study of archetypal astrology is one of the established pathways toward a more more meaningful, soulful, and healthy relationship with the greater cosmos. Wow, that is so cool. 
So, Ren, you open your book with a discussion of the four-stage perinatal sequence described by Richard Tarnas and Stanislav Grof, and you correlate each perinatal stage with a specific planet. So what is this perinatal sequence, and why is it such an important framing concept for your book? Well, as you probably know, Stan Grof um, had the opportunity to do over 4,000 psychedelic sessions with clients. Whoa. And um, his intention was to help them heal. And uh, out of this vast amount of clinical data, he was able to systematize what he calls an expanded cartography of the human psyche. Hmm. And the main things are there were, there was a lot of, uh, corroboration of the insights that we know about the biographical layer of the psyche. So things that the physical and sexual abuse and severe toilet training, hostile family atmosphere, and so on can leave, uh, traces in the psyche and wounds that will may need to be healed later on. And, but he found that there was a, an additional layer of the psyche he calls the perinatal from the surrounding birth. And that many of our deepest problems have roots in that layer of the psyche. And that was not even the deepest layer. There were additional experiences he calls transpersonal and, um, those include uh, experiences from the lives of our parents or ancestors, racial and collective memories, past life experiences, consciousness of specific animals and plants, um, also archetypal and mythological sequences. Well, that gets real shamanic. Yes. <laughs> and so his work is in the process of, I believe, revolutionizing uh, psychology and psychotherapy and psychiatry and <clears throat> astrology is first and foremost about the human psyche and um, I believe that his work plays an important role in the an emerging uh, new understanding of astrology so, um, additional information that would be good for astrologers to integrate mm-hmm. okay and um, and what is Richard Tarnas's contribution to this Richard Tarnas was a Harvard graduate. He went to Esalen Institute in the early 70s to meet Stan Groff, and they, they became uh, friends and colleagues. And Tarnas was able to show and discover that there are fairly uh, dramatic excuse me, <clears throat> correlations between the outer four planets, uh, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and also Saturn, and the four stages of birth that Groff talks about. Groff calls them the basic perinatal matrices. So Groff came up with the, the, the matrices and then Tarnas correlated them with the planets. Is that correct? Yes. So, for example, the, uh, the situation in the womb, if, if, if you know, conditions are ideal for the fetus, is a kind of heavenly or paradisian realm. When people relive this, they can have images of existence in heaven or paradise from many different cultures. And there's a sense of higher meaning, no boundaries, uh, free-flowing consciousness, uh, access to many different levels and dimensions of the universal mind, universal psyche. 
And Tarnas realized that Neptune, as it's described in the astrological literature, has many similarities with Gross' description of um, BPM1, basic perinatal matrix one. Huh. And, oh, go ahead. No, I'm just, just saying, oh, cool. <laughs> and some of the more problematic elements associated with Neptune, such as uh, confusion or delusions or strange feelings of toxicity, um, uncertainty, and so on, don't seem to be intrinsic to the Neptune archetype, but from this perspective, may be related to unhealed uh, toxic womb memories or disturbances in intrauterine life. Um, and these are these are not intrinsic to Neptune, but are sort of related to unhealed memories from intrauterine stage of development. So, so does that mean if a person is having that sort of experience, they're going to have to heal that prenatal wound somehow before their their Neptune in their chart and their transiting Neptune will will behave in a more life affirming way? That's the way it seems. It. it it is a very positive understanding of Neptune. Neptune is trying to open our psyches to blissful, unitive states of opening to higher meaning, as I mentioned, ecstatic um, feelings of, uh, of connection with the universal mind and the, you know, the divine heart. And if we're suffering during a Neptune transit, it, it means that there's more inner work to do. And, the, the way to deal with most inner problems is to spend time every day lying down and just surrender into those feelings, including the negative ones. Let our imagination wander. Let, let our consciousness go wherever it wants to go without changing it. And you know, if we're doing that in the safety of our, our own room, then you know there's, we don't have to sort of keep it together. Neptune wants our consciousness to open. Now, this is interesting because I, I teach a similar technique for healing where I just I have people say maximum healing that serves highest good, please. And my instruction after that is just to rest in breath or rest in the sensation. But I actually tell them ignore thought because thought is going to you know, get you back in your head and that's not where the healing is going to happen. And that technique has worked well for people. But you're saying you can get a full healing allowing thought and even you know drifting with the thought in this context is that correct yes but it, it's it's not in contradiction to what you said you allow your your thoughts and your feelings to go wherever they want to go and you don't really worry about it you don't try to change it um, ultimately what is always there is the observer part of our minds and that is the divine consciousness within us. It is eternal part of our psyches. It's always inside watching and observing. Okay. So, so in your method of laying down and just allowing, is there a chosen focus or is the focus simply whatever's arising? I think I, I like James Hillman approach and it's James Hillman's approach and it's based uh, on Jung's ideas as well. You can start with an image, something that you had in a dream or some thought that you had or something. Let it become an image and then just let it kind of go in whatever direction it wants to, like a cartoon. 
Hillman calls it pathologizing the myth onward. So you'll start with an image and, and then often if you just let yourself allow it to unfold, it will move in direction of shadow material, underworld themes, what, what Groff would call perinatal material. And you know, aggressive, sadomasochistic, uh, demonic, scatological, uh, fire, and so on. And uh, that doesn't harm us. There, there, it doesn't hurt us for that to happen. And just to allow it to proceed to its final sort of uh, uh, place, you know. And at the same time, let feelings come up. If you're lying down on your bed, then you don't have to worry about it. You may not be able to yell loudly if there are people right next door. But, you know, just just allow things to surface. Yeah. So this sounds like what one would be doing if one was in like a holotropic breathwork session um, with like music playing and support. And it also sounds similar to what one does, at least what I've done when I've done like a plant spirit ceremonies like ayahuasca or San Pedro, which is you you sit and you, you know, allow the process to do itself and you just passively allow it to kind of run. And then the healing happens spontaneously. Is that, is this a similar, does that sound like it's in harmony with the, the approach you're describing here? It's identical. Yes. I think all good things agree with each other. Groff says there are either uncovering techniques or there are covering techniques. And what we're talking about are uncovering techniques. Huh, cool. All right, so let's, let's, this has been a fascinating excursion, but let's get back to the perinatal matrix. So we've hit one of them, which is the Neptunian floating in bliss, ideally, or whatever that you're floating in at that moment. But there, there's three more stages, right? Right. So Groff's second perinatal matrix, or BPM2, is based on the early stage of labor when the cervix is still closed and the fetus is compressed within the contracting uterine walls. And um, this is a very powerful clinical route for many people of feelings of inhibited type of depression, the feeling of being um, trapped, uh, feelings of guilt and failure, total lack of interest in anything, um, a sense of victimization. When people relive this fully, um, these types of themes in their lives tended to disappear. These symptoms disappeared. So there's, a, again, a finite amount of it in the psyche and full surrender to the sense of being trapped or stuck will release it from the psyche. It's just that when we're depressed, almost everyone we talk to will try to cheer us up or distract us. Or if we go to a psychiatrist, most likely we'll get some kind of suppressant medication. And that keeps us stuck in a halfway position between feeling good and suffering deeply enough to release that we're stuck halfway. And, and if we could, if people would support each other and just let yourself fall through the cracks, you know, lie down and let yourself really suffer, feel gravity, let Saturn push you down. The divine hand will inevitably catch you. And, uh, Groff was impressed by, you know, people would go into these kind of hellish states of BPM2, and then at a certain point, that would leave their, their psyches permanently. Wow. So 
I can imagine people hearing you say this and say, I'm, I would be terrified to do that. I would get overwhelmed. It would be too much for me. I would go crazy. Have you ever known of people who've done this who had, who, where it was too much or they did go crazy because of doing what you just described? No, no, I haven't known anyone um, like that. I mean, there are people suffering around us all the time. Um, I think that the best that a spiritual practice or a, a psychotherapy can do is to give us a safe space where we can condense the karma. We can fully go into it. It's better to suffer deeply in a session for several hours, I would say, than to have it spread out over weeks, months, or years in everyday life. These things are already affecting us. Right. And the, the, the problem is not that there is... Uh, unresolved suffering in our unconscious that may surface. It's that we have this Saturnian propensity to suppress suffering, to suppress the contents of the psyche, and then those things will fester, could be for our entire lives. It's better to face it. But, you know, if, if someone has very severe emotional problems, then they may need to have someone there supporting them, not something that they want to go into um, by themselves. But I, I know lots, you know, I've heard of lots of people that are using marijuana now in a responsible way. I mean, it's kind of a mild psychedelic in, in its effects. And if you do it in a, in a therapeutic way, uh, create a, a nice space, put on some music, lie down for, stay lying down for at least three hours, three to four hours on your back, and then let it be like a spiritual healing session where whatever's inside can come forth beautiful yeah i just wanted to confirm you know i've done about 175 plant spirit ceremonies so far and when on one of the nights where i can tell after an hour or two oh this is going to be one of these intense clearing nights and and the stuff's just going to keep coming up i i often would say to the spirit of ayahuasca i'd say okay let's just go for it and, you know let's just get the most healing we can done if it hurts, that's okay, but let's just get the maximum benefit from the ceremony. And I've had really intense, you know, healings like that for hours on end that were really difficult, but I was, I felt so much better afterwards because so much heaviness got sloughed off. Well, that's a great attitude, Benjamin. And, you know, I really admire your courage. You know, when people are healthy and they have the time to do these kind of things, it's such a good investment, isn't it? People never regret undertaking this kind of a journey um one of the ways i like to look at it is you lie back and let the mother give birth to you you're not really doing anything you're just surrendering and uh, during saturn transits that might feel like you're surrendering into constriction and pain and loss during pluto transits it could feel like you're being carried somewhere you're like a exploding volcano and so on Another good metaphor is it's like putting up the lightning rod and then you lie back and let whatever comes down from the, the realm of the gods and goddesses in. That sounds like a Uranus transit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, those are exciting transits. And one, one point we should throw in here that we haven't really explicitly made is one of the cool things about your book is it can help people time this kind of work by looking at the transits in the sky and how those transits are affecting the natal chart and look at the planetary, you know, two and three 
planet combinations, and they can actually pick a time, according to what you're saying, when they can have a Saturnian type of experience or, or a Uranian kind of experience and and be fairly sure that that type of thing is going to be stimulated because of the planetary lineup when they do their therapeutic work. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That's the, that's the branch of Richard Tarnas work that he initiated that I, I call holotropic astrology. It's the astrology of understanding holotropic or non-ordinary states. That's one of the ways that he learned astrology actually was, was looking at the sessions of the people that he knew and then trying to see how the, the transits were reflected in their sessions and also to pick good days. So for an experienced journeyer, it's not too important because he or she will be prepared for everything. Um, they, they, you know that sooner or later everything is going to surface. You know, everyone has everything inside of them. Sooner or later you will face the whole range of the human unconscious. That's a really beneficial thing to do. But for people that are just starting that have like serious trust issues or have a tendency toward depression and so on, they might want to avoid heavy Saturn transits the first time and then try to maximize Jupiter transits, Uranus transits, and so on. The other thing is there are no transits that are inherently dangerous. There's a benefit in all of them. They all have a major recognizable distinct effect in our sessions, the archetypes that are activated during different transits. But the Saturn-Neptune transits and Mars-Neptune transits, so that would be either way. So Mars in the sky transiting your natal Neptune by conjunction, square, or opposition. Or Neptune in the sky transiting your natal Mars by conjunction, square, opposition. Also Saturn, Neptune. They're a lit, they can be a little more dicey uh, just because they involve Neptunian elements of uncertainty and, you know, unclarity uncl- of, you know, what is real and what is not real. For experienced people, that would be okay. But for a first time, that might not be ideal. And when you get combinations of Mars, Saturn, and Neptune, that particular triad of archetypal energies. And I'm talking here about dynamic alignments, so conjunction squares and oppositions. I would recommend doing small amounts of psychedelics under those transits or do non-drug techniques such as holotropic breathwork. You know, we just came through about a three-year Saturn square Neptune um, people will remember it ended last year, and every time Mars in the sky aligned with the Mars Saturn with the Saturn Neptune, so that would be a world transit of Mars, Saturn, and Neptune. It seemed like the people I talked to had sessions that were a little grimmer and stranger and dicier. So, yeah. Okay, good to note. And of course, uh, Mars and Saturn are classic malefics in ancient astrology, aren't they? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And Pluto could could, could be added to that list as well. But all of those uh, have, you know, tremendously positive features in sessions as well. Right. Mars gives the direction and the passion and the enthusiasm to go in there and do the work. And it gives a pointed direction for the catharsis. 
know, like uh-huh. yelling and hitting the mattress and so on, or the, the foamy. Saturn can help us to responsibly create a safe uh, set and setting. So we don't do high doses of psychedelic at a party or a concert. Maybe do a smaller amount if you if you you know really want to do that, but rather a, a therapeutic setting. So a soundproof room, uh, trustworthy friends or guides there that are not high, not even smoking pot, would be the best. And they're there just to just to sort of hold space so that you can go into the material. That's the positive side of Saturn. And then Pluto, of course, is like Mars in overdrive, this supercharged erupting volcano. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. All right. So so let's complete our perinatal matrix. We've got the first two, uh, the first one, Neptunian, free-floating. The, ne- the next one, Saturn, constricting. The fetus is being constricted, but the, it, there's no way out yet. You're just squeezed with, and it feels like I'm stuck here. So what's what's the third? The third perinatal matrix Groff talks about is based on the dynamic stage of labor. Here the cervix has opened and the fetus is being pressed down the narrow pelvic opening by powerful uterine contractions. There's an activation of aggressive energies. It's like a kind of onslaught of biological energy at this point. Um, There can be uh, sexual feelings, but they tend to have a strange sadomasochistic quality. And Groff believes that these feelings are rooted in the suffocation during the birth process. When the uterine walls contract, that cuts or diminishes the flow of blood and oxygen through those arteries that then feed the, uh, the vein through the umbilical cord and that's experienced as suffocation, and that creates a, a strange form of sexual arousal. We know this from autoerotic asphyxiation. There can be uh, confrontation with uh, dark, sort of darkness or evil or wrathful deities, as the Buddhists call them. Um, everyone has some of these in their psyche, or they will access. At, at the early stages, it, it might feel to some people like a battle, like they have to fight this thing from coming into their third eye or, or they have to fight the dark forces or something like that. As people surrender more and more into it, you realize that these things are part of the universal field of consciousness. They're ultimately created by the divine consciousness. They are a part of the divine consciousness. That, that have been set in motion to create the play of opposites in the material world. They're, it's necessary to have uh, a villain in a movie or there, you don't really have a movie, you know? Right. And we, we are, when we are doing this kind of deep work, we become all the parts. You can't say, I'm just gonna become the light parts of the universe. That, that's been tried by many different religions and not, not unqualifiedly successfully when you surrender to these darker energies in a session like you you can make sounds that malevolent sounds or or aggressive feelings or bad intentions and so on that are associated with them you are actually releasing that from your system that's already in there you are consuming it so this is very beneficial people can also have uh connected with uh bp3 uh, 
scatological experiences. So there can be feelings of disgust, nausea, and projectile vomiting is very common in perinatal sessions. Images of decaying corpses, uh, which kind of impress upon people the fact that we are temporary. Mm. That Buddhists say, you know, all things must pass. And also issues around the byproducts of biological existence, you know, shit and piss, blood and so on. And some people may have a hard time surrendering to these elements in their sessions. And this would be intensified if they had very severe toilet training, for example. That would instill in them a sense that biological materials are, are, are dirty and they're even evil, you know, are horrible. And, but people can eventually, everyone, everyone lets go eventually. And, and people would throw up and their nausea would pass and they would have a sense of uh, clearing that out of their psyche. And then the final major theme connected with the third perinatal matrix or BPM3 is uh, purifying fire. Groff calls this uh, pyrocatharsis. Hmm. And um, this there's a sense as you pass through this fire that it has a magical ability to purify whatever is rotten and corrupt in your being and prepare it for rebirth. So those are the major five uh, themes connected with BPM3. Everyone that Groff worked with systematically experienced all of them and not in the same order. And there would be variations based on their obstetric medical situation in labor and, and so on. But uh, Richard Tarnas was able to see that all of them are encompassed in the archetypal meanings long written about with Pluto, associated with Pluto. You know, the aggressive feelings, sort of uh, sexual, uh, primal Dionysian feelings. There's a kind of a, a raging... Uh, process people can get into in sessions that has both an aggressive and a sexual component to it. You can feel like you're being born the same time as you're facing death. And they, Groff calls this uh, Dionysian or volcanic type of ecstasy. And then we also know from the literature of Pluto that it can be connected with uh, you know, disgust and biological materials with uh, demonic energies, you know, the underworld of the psyche, and also with fire. And so this was astounding that two independent streams of human knowledge would discover that there were patterns, uh, in, you know, clusters of experience. Um, and um, it, was, it was quite a validation of the sort of universality of the, of the archetypes, that these things really do exist. So the birth experiences seem to be where the Pluto archetype, so the, so the dynamic stage of labor is where the Pluto archetype manifests in biological form most acutely, most concentrated form. It's a very concentrated experience of, of the Pluto archetype. And then the no exit stage of birth would be a very concentrated experience of the Saturn archetype and so on. So there's one final matrix after Pluto, right? Right. So uh, BPM4, the fourth perinatal matrix, 
is based on the sudden intensification of suffering and then explosive liberation as the fetus exits the confining birth canal and out into the space of the delivery room. People can have a sense of uh, um, salvation, atonement, enlightenment, redemption, feelings of forgiveness. They often see uh, blinding white or golden light. There can be images of peacock feathers or spectra patterns. Um, they can see the, the inside of giant halls and cathedrals, which Groff suggests may uh, appear because they, they have the same experiential quality as, as the opening of space or decompression of space. So the sense the lofty openness and spaciousness of a cathedral is what the fetus experiences as it comes out of the confining birth canal. Wow. And they, they sort of mimic or elicit those memories in people, that sort of sacred feeling of, of being saved from danger. The birth is a life-threatening event, though it's, it's a beautiful, natural process and absolutely essential many, in many ways, not only biologically, but, you know, it seems to be an important place where karma or collective elements can, you know, enter into an individual life, an individual ego. And it's very important to go through it. Um, but it is a life-threatening event and, you know, babies do die. So it's, it's no uh, surprise that it uh, has a traumatic effect until it's resolved. Hmm. Fascinating. So, so basically, let me just summarize, see if I got it right. So initially, most of the nine months, it's Neptune, float, euphoria, bliss. Then the contractions begin, that's Saturnian. Then you're partway through the canal, can't get through, Pluto squeezing intensity, and then Uranus is the explosive birth and, and the first breath. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good understanding. So, so this is additional information. You know, we've, we haven't done a great d job, for example, in dealing with Pluto as a civilization. Our attempts to pave over the psyche have not been that successful. Groff says we still have the same emotions we had in us in during the Stone Age, and these come out in you know world wars and genocides and all the kind of sexual uh, misconduct and rape that we're, we're hearing about and so on. And we need to integrate these holotropic states, non-ordinary state practices into our our society so that people can work through these shadow energies without acting them out. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. Okay, thank you for, for that. Um, now again, I, I want to emphasize to the listener, we've been talking for quite a bit, but in the book, this only takes about six pages. <laughs> so, um, but as you say, it's a really important framing concept. So um, let me just check this next question here. So after your introductory material on the basic perinatal sequence, forgive me, perinatal, you talk about how planetary alignments can help shed light on the material people encounter. And I think you've already covered that. We've, you've talked at length about how certain transits, either sky transits or relating to the person's chart, do strongly color the actual experience they have if they're doing, you know, inner healing work. 
So I think we've pretty covered that, unless there's anything you wanted to add to that topic before we go to the next question. No, I think we've covered it, but I'll, I'll think of more things as we're, we're talking. I, there's just one other thing from what we were talking about uh, a minute ago is I do think that this material can help astrology. Uh, you know, it, it, it can enrich the practice of astrology. If people are aware that when there's a strong Pluto transit happening in a client, that there may be cathartic energies that are trying to come forth, that the volcano needs to blow and that astrologers could encourage their clients to seek out holotropic breathwork or uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy as that becomes available um, and to work with those energies. You can't handle Pluto just by talking about it. You know, I mean, there are some things you can do, but you know, this is a very deeply experiential uh, process. And I think that that's the direction astrology is going. And, and similar for Uranus. I mean, some people talk about Uranus as a malefic or a, or a difficult energy. That's a real shame because if you're doing deep work, if you, you know, once a month or, or whenever works for you, you need to do it. It could be more or less often than that. Um, Uranus will help you to, you know, blow the lid off the psyche when you're in that safe environment. You, you set up the safe set and setting, and then Uranus is like the cosmic midwife that will pull your consciousness through and then out into the divine realm. And it, Uranus will only be seen as a negative force if you're really just trying to hold everything in all the time. And, and that's not a very fun kind of astrology, is just talking about, you know, when to sell your house and, you know, mundane things because our souls really crave uh you know mystical openings the reconnection with the divine mm, i could not agree more okay now let's shift to a purely technical astrology point um you give lots of examples several hundred in your book examples and quotes from famous people who that are relevant to the planetary combination you're discussing and always you use a quote from a person who has that planetary combination in their own natal chart. And most of the time it's an aspect like a square or a trine or whatever, but a lot of times you use midpoints and you'll say, okay, let's say it was a sun, Venus, Mercury. Here's Venus not actually making an aspect to the sun or Mercury, but it's just exactly between the two. And I'm just curious, um, do you find that midpoint connections like that are more or less potent than standard aspects? I think they're a little less potent, but depends on the orb of the aspect. Uh, Rick, uh, you know, was using midpoints in the early days based on Reinhold Ebertine, which I know you, who you will bring, be bringing up, the famous German cosmobiologist. Yeah. And I believe that uh, Charles Harvey, uh, also in England, was using midpoints. So the way Rick Tarnas described them to me, it would combine the three planetary archetypes together in a way, something like a weak conjunction. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, an aspect is just an alignment, a, a sort of a distance around the ecliptic of two planets. 
And this is another way, another type of set distance. So one planet has to be exactly halfway between two other planets. And that's written as A equals B slash C. You know, Mars equals Venus slash Jupiter. And the orb would be quite tight, two degrees on these um, uh, for the most part. And they do seem to uh, have an effect. I, I don't look at midpoint transits myself, but, um, but for aspects, I mean, it's kind of like a weak to medium aspect that a person has for their whole life. It's, a, it's like a transit that they have for their entire life. So it will register in their life experience for sure. Thank you. Now, after all this introductory material, again, everything we've covered is like the first 10 pages. <laughs> then you give a thorough definition of each planet you use, and you use the five personal, Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, the two socials, Jupiter and Saturn, and the three outers, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. And you also make limited use of the ascended and midheaven, which implicitly reference the opposing angles. And then it's on to your book's main event, the systematic description of every possible planetary pair and planetary triad using those celestial bodies. Now, you state in your preface that the archetypal universe, your book, is an expanded and modernized version of the idea behind Reinhold Ebertine's classic book, The Combination of Stellar Influences, which you just referenced. And you say you were also influenced by Robert Hand's classic book, Planets in Transit. I've read both of them, and the similarities are obvious. But what excites me about the archetypal universe is that you take things to an entirely new level. For each planetary pair, you have the following sections. Principles, characters and themes, shadow qualities, nature and the arts, archetypes and spirituality, dream images and themes, and themes in deep self-exploration. Now, I'd like to go deep now and have you elaborate on what each of these sections is about and why you chose to include them for each planetary pair. And if you're willing, uh, there's an especially juicy section where you talk about the Mars-Uranus pairing, and uh, it's on page 150 of your book. Would you be willing to read like two and a half pages to cover all those sections of Mars-Uranus? And, and again, the reason I'm excited for the readers to hear this is because I think, in my opinion, this gives them a really good flavor of your book because what you're doing here with Mars and Uranus is basically the same thing you're doing with every other planetary pair. It's just that Mars-Uranus happens to be especially juicy. <laughs> sure. Would you be willing to read that for us? Yes. Uh, and Yeah. So the reason I did it, you know, I, I was collecting these correlations all through the 90s during the Uranus-Neptune conjunction. I started in 93, in the spring of 93. I had a dream in early May that year that my sister-in-law was giving birth to my niece. And, you know, dreams are about us. Every part of a dream is about is something in our psyches. That's what these symbols are uh, opening to us. And about two days later, I started writing, and I've been writing nonstop for over 25 years. So, uh, I, so I was collecting these. A lot of these correlations, Benjamin, I was discovering one by one. You know, I'd be sitting on the bus on my way to work at the group home, and I just have an idea would come into my head, or I'd remember something, or think about a movie I'd seen, and then the director's chart, or, or 
a family member's chart or friend. And I, I just had this notebook and I would just write it down, you know, Mars, Pluto, and then the, the idea. And so I just collected these one by one by one over many years. The triads were, you know, I was really happy with those. By the end of the you know millennium, by around 2000, I stopped working on this particular project um, that became this book. And I had triads about, I had about a third the length that it, I ended up having with the book. So I turned my attention back to that. And, you know, the same way a lot of them just came one by one over many, many years as a kind of a byproduct of other research I was doing. So Mars Uranus. And that, dear listener, is the cliffhanger. It is an incredibly juicy Mars Uranus description, and we're going to have that on our next episode for the second half of October. Tune in for that, and we'll have the rest of our interview with Ren Butler, another 45 minutes or so of absolutely fascinating discussion. So uh, let that tide you over, and join us next time for the conclusion. By the way, if you want to check out Ren's website, it's renbutler.com, R-E-N-N, Butler, B-U-T-L-E-R. Com. Living a harmonious life can be difficult, especially these days when things are moving so fast. You'd think that those of us committed to personal and spiritual growth would have it easier, but sometimes it seems as if our lofty aspirations cause us to face even greater challenges. Fortunately, you have a map to guide you, your astrology chart. It can reveal a wealth of information about your soul purpose, your optimal career, and your ideal romantic partner. Spirituality, timing, relocation, your chart, when interpreted by an insightful, experienced astrologer, can provide helpful insights into every area of life. And since the moving planets keep activating different parts of your chart, getting astrology updates at least once a year can help you keep focused on what's important now. But astrology is only the beginning here at Astro Shaman. We also offer shamanic healing, which can reduce or eliminate physical, emotional, and mental issues. Your shamanic healing session will also equip you with simple, powerful techniques you can use on your own to help you take your healing and spiritual awakening to the next level. We also offer other services to help improve your life, including awakening activation, electional astrology, mentoring, and more. All are equally effective in person or by phone or Skype. A digital recording of your session is included, and my guarantee makes it risk-free. If you don't feel that your experience was helpful, it's free. To learn more, visit astroshaman.com. I love my work, and I look forward to helping you. We're wrapping up this edition of This Week in Astrology. Check out our website, where you can hear the show and subscribe to podcast updates. You can also do a single sign-up for two great opportunities, chances to win a free consultation and have your chart interpreted on the show. You can also donate to support us. Go to thisweekinastrology.com. From there, you'll be automatically redirected to the This Week in Astrology area of astroshaman.com. You can listen to This Week in Astrology on your smartphone or tablet at stitcher.com. And if you're an iTunes listener, please subscribe through iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. I wish you infinite blessings as the stars light your way. This Week in Astrology is copyright 2018 by Astro Shaman. All rights reserved, although enthusiastic sharing is encouraged. You can access our free comprehensive audio archive from thisweekinastrology.com. 
If you'd like me to illustrate the weekly forecast with your chart, please send me your date, time, and city of birth. This also gives you a chance to win a free session with me every month. I welcome your personal questions for my live listener consultation segments. I also welcome your general astrology questions and feedback. Just email info at astroshaman.com. I look forward to making you a part of This Week in Astrology. Here's the index. Our overview begins at 1 minute 38 seconds. October 1st, 2.16. The 2nd, 3.20. The 3rd, 4.10. The 4th, 4.57. The 5th, 5.11. The 7th, 8.23. The 8th, 11.48. The 10th, 15.51. The 11th, 17.12. The 12th, 17.27. The 14th, 17.48. The 15th, 18.51. Next shows highlights, 19.35. Email and announcements, 21.44. Part one of our interview with Ren Butler, 2622. Thank you so much for listening to This Week in Astrology.